Hello, story lovers and storytellers, and welcome back to Once Upon a Time, the podcast for all your storytelling needs. Yay! Um, with me again is my wonderful fiance Andreas, who is going to be sitting out most of um, he's going to be sitting out most of this um interview. Um, uh, also, um, we before we. To issue a trigger warning. Yeah, and, I would. And a spoiler warning. Um, um, please do not listen to this if you are triggered by um, mentions of. Oh, you may have to help me here. Um, rape. Um, uh, rape. Uh, attempted. Um, attempted Sexual and actual rape. Um. Yeah. <laughs> Anything in that general category. <laughs> yes. Um, as well as physical and verbal abuse. Um, and, yeah, I think that about covers it. That should about cover it, yeah. Yes. With me, as you can probably tell, we've got someone else with us. <gasps> Special guest, would you like to introduce yourself? Um, yes. <laughs> um, how? Um... My name is Rachel Dahl, um, which is the name I'm currently going under, but I'm the, I go under R.L. Haas as an author, um, which will be changing, but we'll get to that. Um, wow. And I am the author of the Alonzo Chronicles. Yay! Um, for the um, actually, that's the point. Give me two seconds. I want um, before we um, before we get into the interview proper. I wanted to read an extract from the first yeah. book. Can we please try to do this? As I won't edit it this yes. as much. It would be good if we try to not try to keep ourselves. Yeah, that's right. I had this planned anyway. So. Uh, let's go from. Despite the Gucci sunglasses that now covered her eyes, I had no doubt that Irina was fully aware of my own state of conflicted emotions, as well as my frustration at being once again left in the dark. She was perceptive that way, to an aggravating degree. Yes, I came out. It was getting too hot in there. I did my best to keep my voice even and calm, like she always did, but found that my own irritability was rising to the surface. I went around to the other side of the car and opened the back door to grab my art satchel. Might as well draw while I wait, I mumbled under my breath, careful to ensure that my head was buried far enough in the back seat to escape Irina's excellent hearing. We can't all loll in the sun like glorious and glamorous felines, can we? We're going to Alonthiel. That is a little, that is a very short snippet of the first book of the Alonthiel Chronicles called um, Portals of Water and Wine. Rachel wrote these, uh, when did you, actually that's the point, when did you start writing the Alonthiel, um, uh, the first book? Um... So it's kind of a complicated question because 
So I need to I need to go actually go look at that because I didn't I was thinking about this as I was getting ready for this interview in that I kind of started it kind of by mistake, which <laughs> it wasn't exactly the plan to turn this into a book. It was kind of I'm just going to do a thing, you know, that I like and I start kind of jotting it down. Um, because normally I write my novels in um, in November. Mm. So, because I participate in National Novel Writing Month, which is the month of November, mm-hmm. um, where everyone um, who participates writes a 50,000 word novel in the space of 30 days, which is a huge endeavor. Um, yep. It's a huge endeavor. Lots of people do it, surprisingly, but it is it's huge it's a huge process sometimes it's really good and sometimes it's really really crap and so (laughs) um so i started writing this book in pardon i'm counting april may june july august september november december yes so i started writing this book actually in april of 2014 after um it's a bit like it's almost embarrassing to say but I had a dream and I actually somewhere in my house it got moved with me to my new house turned from because I scrawled it in a journal because I used to keep a journal beside my bed and I would write Mm. down like random dream nonsense that would come to me and then I wrote this one down I was like I really like this one this one's kind of good let's let's kind of just sit down and see where it goes and so the first Mm. thing I actually wrote which will which will come as no surprise to anyone who knows my methodology and how I write books, which is annoying. I wrote the, there's a scene in the middle where, um, they're, um, they're in a, the van mm. and they're, they're talking and they're driving in, in the van on the way to Elanthiel. And that's actually the first thing I ever wrote in the book was three people, um, in a van driving to a magical place. Um, and then the very next thing I wrote, which was part of the dream was the dinner, the big dinner that they all had. Mm -hmm. So, and then the very next thing I wrote after that, I wrote this on the same day. I wrote the van, the van scene. I wrote the dinner and I wrote the, Mm -hmm. um, the swimming scene. Those three scenes Mm. are the first things I wrote, um, in no particular order, just random documents, just wrote, start a new document, wrote, start a new document, wrote, start a new document, like just Mm. did that. And then I'm like, okay, this is actually, this could become a thing. And I kind of started piecing it together, thinking about it more, um, filling in the gaps with other sections of the dream until all of a sudden it kind of took on a life of its own and became what it is now. Yeah. Which is awesome. Uh, I think that more or less covers my first question. How did Elanthiel come to be? Yeah, that's, <laughs> I, I, I have, I have to give credit where credit is due. I did not name, let's be, let me be really transparent here. I did not name Elanthiel. I did not okay. name Naya, mm-hmm. and I did not name uh, my villain in the second book. Well, I kind of did. Um, so, Alanthiel and Naya, both of those names came from my friend Monica, who I don't. I think you you know Monica through the writer group, uh, Monica Barger. Um, she's like the most. She's like a fairy on earth. She's like this most ethereal, like beautiful. <laughs> wispy human being like really like in touch with like nature and spirituality she's just this fantastic human 
That's and cool. she kind of became my sounding board when I was writing. I'd be like, okay, I need a name for this thing. And she'd respond with like a bunch of ideas. And I, was I, stuck. I kept putting, so when I was writing, I had a placeholder. I just kept putting the place. <laughs> Came to the place, went to the place, going to the place. And I finally write her and I'm like, I can't keep calling it the place. I can't publish a book and call it the place. And I don't even remember how it kind of came about, but she wrote me, and I remember her saying, what about Alanthea? And I was like, yep. Yeah. <laughs> yep. That'll do it. Um, so yeah, that's where a lot of the names came from, were from other people. Um, wow. The villain in the second book, yeah. which is, this is a bit of a tangent, but I will say this, the villain in the second book is named after my six sister's evil ex-boyfriend, Travis. <laughs> His name is Travis. Oh, dear. My now current <laughs> So I named him Travace to kind of eviscerate my sister's horrible ex-boyfriend in fiction. And then two years later, so actually three years <laughs> later, get engaged to a guy named Travis, which he thinks is hilarious. I'm not surprised. Yeah. I think that's hilarious, too. Go on. I. I have a little question. What are your influences of mm. writing these books? Do you have any authors that you have inspired you? Because Alantiel to me sounds a lot like something out of Tolkien's universe. It Tolkien has a big influence on me. The biggest influences on the book are um, actually a couple more. Are people never believe this when I say it? Um, the Outlander series by Diane. Um, oh my goodness! I just I'm about to make a fool of myself. I cannot think of her last name out of a out of a. Um, well, that can be solved later. Yes, yes, I'll fix that. By Diane, I believe it's Galbraith, but I could be pronouncing it incorrectly. Um, I will Google it and find out because I'm just. I was just on about to say I can not knowing my favorite author's last name. <laughs> it is Diane. Goodness, I'm humiliating myself. Diane. Diana Gabaldon. Gabaldon! Gabaldon, <laughs> I, I'm not a yeah. terrible person. I'm not a terrible fan, I promise. No, you're not. Um, that, um, the Outlander series was huge, was absolutely huge, because I was starting to watch it as I wrote the first book. And I have this wow. very weird quirk that I cannot write in silence, I would either use the po use a playlist or watch TV while writing. Yeah. So mm -hmm. a lot of that would like seep into my subconscious. So that there's actually um, a lot of Outlander feel that kind of flows through it, as mm -hmm. well as um, of course Tolkien mm -hmm. and Lewis. Um, mm -hmm. They've been huge influences in my life since I was very very small. Yeah, um, huge influences. Lewis is the first book I ever picked up and like read properly. Um, mm -hmm. When uh, you say Lewis, you're meaning C.S. Lewis, right? I do mean C.S. Lewis, yes. Right. Um, and then also Tamara Pierce, who is actually misspoke. I would say that I watched the, the Lord of the Rings, the Chronicles of Narnia movies first, but the first fantasy book I ever picked up and held in my hands and read was um, a book by Tamara Pierce um, from her Song of the Lioness Quartet, who, if okay. you haven't read her, and you like fantasy books, I cannot sing her praises high enough. She is yeah. she is one of like the best fantasy authors. Yeah. Bluntly, I would go so far to say in the world. She's absolutely riveting and powerful and just magical, and I adore her. 
So yeah. she mm. had a lot of influence. And of course, Neil Gaiman. Um, yeah. An yeah. absolute crap ton of Neil Gaiman just influence on that book. In, <laughs> fact, in fact, when I yeah. published both books, <gasps> I always tweet. I rem- yes, I remember this. I tweet at the beginning of <laughs> the day before I publish my book, before it comes out, I always tweet three people. I'm sorry, four people. I tweet Stephen King. I tweet Tamora Pierce. I tweet Neil Gaiman. And I tweet um, Amanda Effing Palmer. I won't say her true, what the name she's adopted on here because it's keep it PG, but mm-hmm. it's not effing. Um, it's what she goes by. Um, and I tweet <laughs> those four people every, the, every time before I start a show. Before I start a show. Theater brand, before I release a book. Mm. and mm. twice now Tamora Pierce and Neil Gaiman have tweeted me back cool. which, which they is are awesome. framed in my office those tweets are printed out and framed yeah. in my office which is- yeah. incidentally on a, on a slight side note um, I've been getting adverts for um, Neil Gaiman doing a masterclass on yeah. masterclass and I'm just like I cannot yeah. afford I know. I it's on my bucket list is to be is to do is to is to do the Neil Gaiman and even the Stephen King. Stephen King does one as well, and I want to do it so badly. In that way, as you cannot have silence, you remind me a lot of what I've heard about Gabriel Garcia Marquez. He always have a Bach's violin sonatas on when he is writing. Yes. Yellow roses and bath, yeah. or he can't write. Yes, and I, I'm very much that way. I think every writer has a quirk that they kind of have to have when mm. they're writing. And mine is, every book kind of has a um, has a background with it. So the first one was a lot of Outlander and a lot of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. A mm. lot. Because I would keep, I'd watch it and then I'd forget that I'd watch it. So I'd go back and watch the episode again. <laughs> Except I'd start writing in the middle, then I'd forget again. So I'd go back and rewind it. So yeah. a lot of Buffy. And then the second one is a lot of Scandal and a lot of Grey's Anatomy. Because I was watching a lot of that kind of <laughs> crashing TV in the middle. So the second one was a lot of Scandal. There's a lot of Scandal in the second book. Talking of, um, talking of the second book, um, both your, um, both the, um, both books, um, for me, um, there's definitely, and I know that I'm jumping ahead in questions and I'm probably going to not necessarily do them in order, but, um, there's a lot of kind of Christian undertone and Christian influence. There's more so in the second book. Um, how did kind of that factor into the whole process? So like I said, Lewis, C.S. Lewis is a big, mm-hmm. big influence. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, Lewis often says that he never meant to write The Lion, the Witch, of the Wardrobe as allegorical as it came out. Everyone's yeah. like, no, it was intentional, it was an allegory, blah, blah, blah. He's bluntly <laughs> quoted as saying that yeah. wasn't the plan, that wasn't the intent. Yeah. Yeah. So anyone that sits on it as an allegory is basically misrepresenting him as an author. So every time a chance I get, I always say... It's not an allegory. It can be, but that's not how it was intended. No. And that kind of happened with the second book as well, because it, okay. again, wasn't intended to be as allegorical as it apparently decided it wanted to be. Because the second book <laughs> is just like, the first book, it's there, but not as yeah. much. The second book, it's like in your face, and it's right there. <laughs> um, 
And I kind of, I almost debated between in the particular scene in the second book that involves the first king. Um, <gasps> yes, yes. That scene is the most allegorical scene in the entire series, yeah. as of yet. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, before- I didn't want it to be an in-your-face Christian book, because let's be real, there, there's words in my book that wouldn't be in the average Christian mm-hmm. book. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I have a, another forked here. Yeah, and I read biographies about Lewis when I was a teenager, when I was like, I have been a very hardcore C.S. Lewis fan, and today I can like his sci-fi work much more than I ever appreciate Narnia, actually. Really? Yeah, because I'm the, the, the <laughs> thing is that I studied religion in university, and I've read a lot of Christian mysticists, which really greatly connects to Lewis' sci-fi yes. work rather than to Narnia. Narnia are fantastic books. And you have to think of that Lewis was not a Christian until quite late late in his life. That's very, very accurate. And what is often forgotten is people are always like, well, you know, Lewis wrote these big allegories and then there's Tolkien. But you have to remember that it was Tolkien and Lewis sitting in a booth in a bar, in a a pub in Oxford, talking and comparing manuscripts. And their works are very closely intertwined, even though people don't want to give the other the credit where it's due because they were best friends. They were constantly sharing all their work together. They, uh, the Inklings. The Inklings, yes. Yes. Before, before it, before it became, um, before it became a type of squid in, um, oh, what's it called? Um, yeah. Ah! Why can I not remember the name of the game? Um, the, the inklings now tend to refer to. The, um, have you ever seen? Um, you probably haven't. Uh, as someone who games to a certain extent, it's. Um, Oh, yes. Um, I know what you're yes. talking about. I can't yes. it. I know what you're talking about. I can't about. remember the name. It's seriously annoying. Basically, um, you have a look on your face, um, Andreas. Um, it's, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, it's, it's a game where you're trying to, cap, um, you're trying to capture the um, amount of um, you're trying to catch the most land and stuff, and they're called, um, and the creatures are called inklings because they yes. you, paint and they use paint. Platoon. And... Yes, that's it. Platoon. That's yeah. a random tangent, but it's, but it's yes, I know what you're yeah. talking about. Yeah. I was like, I don't remember the name. Ah yeah. but still. Um it's now synonymous with Splatoon. But it's um but before that, um it Tolkien was... and Tolkien and C.S. Lewis basically was part of a, a club of um, writers in Oxford who wrote stories. Gentlemen. Um, sorry, gentlemen. Yeah, it was, because it not... Spoken, it was one other man. If you bear with me, I'll tell you in a second. Um, because I always feel not, so bad for getting this other gentleman. Not because... all of them were authors. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, okay. But they were academics. Yes. yes. Which I think it involved lots of different people. Um, because it wasn't just the three of them. It, they became very close, but it was people like Lord David Cecil, Hugo Dyson, Adam Fox, Richard, um, William D. Marsh, Ro Robert Harvard. Like, like it was... Yeah. Um, yeah. And eventually it did come to include Christopher Tolkien, who was J.R.R. Tolkien's son. So it's... Oh! It's a whole thing. Yeah. That now I am going to introduce a quite controversial theory, but out of autobiographies I read on Tolkien, I have a suspicion that Tolkien might have had some form of lighter autism. I believe that, and I agree with that sentiment profoundly. Yeah. I really do. I truly do. I truly do. Uh, I find this conversation interesting. Languages. Not wow, that's quite a lot of languages. Yeah, and he was <laughs> really specialized in the Norse mythology, mm. which yes. is awesome and fantastic and wonderful. Norse uh, mythology is cool. Yeah, but I want to come back a bit more to the yes. Alontiel. Uh, yes, because yes, we've gone off on a massive tangent, which uh, is kind of okay, uh, but at the same time. I have a see. book here that I read a few years ago, uh, and I reviewed, and I have it signed by the author. Actually, it's very nice. Okay, it, so... It's in, named There Is Nothing To Be Afraid Of, and it's about huh. religious abuse in the word of in the faith movement in the early yes. 90s. And I wonder, where did your way into writing about abuse come from? Okay, so it kind of came from two different sides of the same coin. So thing number one, it came from my background with spiritual abuse, which mm -hmm. spiritual abuse to me is very different than any other kind of abuse because it comes yeah. from a location of faith and I think that faith is one of the most fragile pieces and also one of the strongest pieces of a human being mm -hmm. and when you enter I will use modern Christianity because that's where mine occurred it, I will I'm very very careful to always say abuse could occur in any religion and any faith basis but mine comes from modern Christianity yeah. so that's where I speak of because um, I've not experienced it in any other faith yeah. circle but I know it exists um to me, I grew up in a very conservative background. I grew up in a very um, fundamental background. Fundamentalism mm -hmm. was my bread and butter growing up. It's just how we were. Um, everything was very cut and dry. Um, this is how it is because the Bible says it's this. And this is how it will be. And if you yeah. don't walk that line, then there's the door. Mm. Um <sighs> And That's... so that is how I grew up, profoundly how I grew up. There was no black, there was no gray. It was black and white. This is bad. This is good. Yeah. And this is what we say is good. So this is what is good. And you don't have any say in the matter, which to me, mm -hmm. then growing up and experiencing the things I did um, in my marriage with my, my life as a whole kind of was a lot of dissonance for me, which is where a lot of my writing about the abuse of spirituality comes from. I write about this not just in fiction, but I also have a pretty decent following um, on it's my Facebook and blog yeah. as well yeah. regarding yeah. spiritual and religious abuse. 
Yeah. Um, particularly for me in the last two years, it came to an almighty head. And um, I no longer, I mean, I don't attend church anymore. I'm, I've stepped fairly far back from, from religion, not from faith, but from religion as a whole. Mm-hmm. They are very separate things yeah. to me. Thank uh, you. <laughs> so, yes. Yeah. Yes. Because the character, main character in this book, they try to drive out his epilepsy as it is a demon. Yep. 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 That's, yeah. <laughs> this guy, I know him. And he's had, he had an epilepsy that was accelerating. So they had to do a brain surgery on it. On him to keep it under control, basically. Yep. My f- one other friend were helping him writing the first draft for this book. That's awesome. So that's really cool. And <laughs> I, I very profoundly like I have, um, I personally have um, post-traumatic stress disorder and anxiety disorder. Yeah. And I <laughs> take medication for that. Yep. Um. God help me, because the church has a lot of opinions about taking, taking medication. medication. Um, to which I can say, you know, fight me. Um, <laughs> my health is more important than your opinions. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I mean, here I can see a difference from the church you come from to the church I belong to. Because I have a woman in my church who de- who dedicated basically more or less half her work life to people with mental illnesses. Mm. That's awesome. That's how it should be. Yeah. yeah. How um, it is here. I'm very, very blessed in that the church that I go to is a, uh, uh, and Andreas will back me up on this, it's open. It's welcoming. It accepts you for who you are, not who good. they want you to be. It's and not. And yeah. Which, is Which for so, like, in my book, um, in the first one, and more in the second one, actually, are, um, are a couple who are both men and are married. And when yeah. I wrote that in there, um, certain people in my life were like, that's got to go. Because that can't be in there because that's just not but appropriate. To which I, again, clearly ignored them because not only did they stay in the book, but they became <laughs> fairly focal characters in the second book. Yeah, they did. And the relationship that they had is actually quite, if I remember correctly, it's actually quite a sweet one. I love them. I love them to pieces, especially in the second book. They They were very much... I knew I wanted them to have more than they did in the first, but um, it kind of took on more of a life of its own. I I say this often that I kind of just sit at the keyboard and then my characters run away from yeah. run away from me from me and just do what yeah. they want to do, um, which like, I think is um, okay. Yeah. Like Harris was not meant to be what he became. <laughs> okay. Because I know we start on Harris, this conversation <laughs> can go the whole way okay. because Harris is everyone's favorite for some reason. Hmm, I wonder why. Absolutely. For those who haven't read the book, Harris 
is one of um, the main character Naya's best friends. Her, him and um, um, her other best friend Irina, who I mentioned in the, in the excerpt at the beginning, um, are, have been dating for goodness knows how long. Um, probably half their lives or something. More than half but, their lives, yes. Yeah. And they... They turned up um, when I was going through a difficult patch. If you want to know what the difficult patch is, go read the book. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. Um, and here's the thing. Harris is such a character. He is yes. cheeky. He wears hats. He... He... Ha um, and we're um, further on in, and yes, massive spoilers for this part. He has blue skin. <laughs> he's blue he's like a human mood ring and like he's only blue when he's like really when he feels comfortable where he's at so like he's not just blue like in General? the regular world yeah but he's also when he gets really emotional his skin will yeah. like start to darken um normally yeah. it's a nice um i'm trying to describe like where a good color would be um he's a nice average i guess Union Jack Blue. That's his normal oh. skin tone. Is a nice just blue. But if he gets really <laughs> like into it, it deepens into like a midnight sky type blue. If he's more like apathetic about something or upset or sick, it fades out into a more light, washed out blue. Um, <laughs> it's, it's very easy to tell where he's at based on mm. based on his skin color. Um, yes. And do you want to talk about the fact that you, um, that according to you, and um, we had a little bit of a conversation before we started, you wrote your fiancé into your book. Uh, I, your by mistake, yes. <laughs> so Harris was a very outlandish, loud, loud. He's loud, quirky, crazy, just wild, wild man, just absolute... And originally he was inspired on three brothers who I'm very, very good friends with. Um, this, this, if you took these three brothers and just mushed them into one, that's pretty much where Harris came from, except for the fact that Harris irons his underwear. And that is a nod to my very best friend in the world, Michael, because my best friend irons his underwear and I've been mocking him for this since the ninth grade. But... <laughs> but when I met my fiance, I started, people started and posting things about him on social media. People started telling me, I don't remember who was the first person that was like, you know, he really sounds like Harris. And then the more I think about it, he's not blue. So that part's out, but he is eccentric. He's loud. He wears hats. Um, he has a massive hat collection, like a huge hat <laughs> collection. He is romantic. He's charming. He's very, very much, oh, screw it. I could die. Who cares? Very, very much my fiance. That's very, yeah, very, yes. very much Harris. And when There's I wrote also... Harris, I had never, I had not even met. Travis. <laughs> um, um, there's also the fact, and um, you haven't mentioned this yet, he's a clown. Literally, his job is that he is a clown. His job is, yes, he works in a haunted house and he is legitimately a clown. A scary clown, but a clown. And so, and Harris is very much this clown 
dork flopping all over the place. <laughs> like, just this madcap personality, and that's yeah. very, very much the man I'm marrying as well. Uh, so it's kind of hilarious that I kind of wrote wrote him into existence. Um, I also have another question about these books and do you find it easier uh, I have PTSD myself and I've had it now <laughs> since I was about 13, 14, 15 yep um, do you find it easier to cope with your PTSD when you have been writing or has it played up more that's a fantastic question because yeah so this is a very good question so here's how i know if i'm healthily handling my ptsd i'm writing here's how i know if i'm not healthily handling my ptsd i'm not writing that's pretty much how that's my good benchmark is am i healthily handling my mental illness yes cool stuff's getting written am i not healthily handling my mental illness Nothing's being written because writing is very transparent for me and I don't feel like feeling when I'm not handling my mental illness well. <laughs> um, but um, quite honestly, um, my, my writing took a massive hiatus in the last two years. Um, the second book came out in, I believe, 2016, if I'm remembering my own life correctly. Um, I think it's something uh, like that because because yeah. um, um, I got I asked for um I asked Rachel for a um I bought both the online Kindle version but also a signed copy of the hardback version. Yes, which that is... was quite the endeavor. Shipping you were my biggest, you were my only <laughs> overseas order. And it was absolutely bananas! Oh my goodness, that was such a, that was an adventure. But uh, yes, Just the second book did come out in 2016. Yeah. And um, that is kind of where everything collapsed in my personal life was the beginning of 2017. Yeah. So it just kind of became where I didn't write, I didn't handle. Things appropriately or things well, and so I stopped writing, and I wasn't really allowed to write per se. Let's say I wasn't really right permitted to write because it took away from the things that someone else thought I should be accomplishing. Which ah, right. So um, <laughs> I took the back seat, and then when I started my divorce and started working, you know, spending more time with Travis, it was like. He's like, you need to start writing, which is hilarious because the man has never read my book. I love him, but he's not a reader. He's like, make audiobooks, I'll listen to them, but I'm not a reader. Huh. Okay. But to his okay. credit, he's it's not a reader. He's got, he has ADHD, and so reading means okay. sitting and focusing, and he's like, nope. <laughs> my brain doesn't do that. But to his credit, he has read, I believe he's read the first couple chapters of the first one. Nice. So he's trying. Um, also, if only you knew somebody who was willing to record them. What? Hmm. No, I don't know anyone. <laughs> <to do that. laughs> 
that's spectacular. I do, I do eventually want to get um, audiobooks done of all of the books with and, you know, us working together. Well, before. Uh, well, we have a, for um, for those people who picked up on my sarcasm because obvious sarcasm is obvious. Um, there was a point when I was wanting to re- um, was trying to record um, the. For, um, um, the first book um, f- so that um, people could actually just listen to it. The only problem was um, due to time constraints and um, going out with um, people and also and um, life in general it kind of got put on the back burner and It really did but I really do want to get back to it because I think it would just be yeah. awesome. fantastic I think it would yeah. be fantastic. Yes. I think uh, I think um I think it's one of those projects that's going to happen w- once I move. Maybe. And when we yeah. all have time because it's a very time consuming project. It yeah. Is. It's very time consuming. Editing. Good point. Yes. yes. <laughs> Chestnut. <laughs> and I do have a third book I should probably write here at some point. Oh but. yes, that's a point. So, how is the third book going? <sighs> There's about 10,000 words of the first book that exist. Yay! For perspective, the first book has 90,000 words. Just for okay. perspective as to where we're at with that. So, yay, 10,000. Boo, 80,000 more to go. So, because um, I didn't want them to be like Tolkien or Rowling level long because they're bricks. And I don't want anyone to like have like a, some people love that. Some people don't. And I want them to be like a nice middling size, between yeah. you know, mm, brick and, you know, wafer. So <laughs> in the middle, um, but it does, I, I am working on it. It's hard. I will say that writing the first book was a breeze compared to writing book number two. Because book number two has a little something that's a jerk called continuity. Yep. Which means you have to go back to the first book and sit and be like, oh, that happened. Have to make sure that gets referenced. And you don't change someone's hair color or someone's eye color or where someone's from or (laughs) accidentally. No, I completely screwed up the second book. And my editor, Amy, caught it. She's like, um, you know, this didn't happen in the first book and you reference a whole thing that didn't happen at all in the first book and i'm like oh crap so i had to go back and rewrite a massive middle section of the second book to make it actually so it's it was yeah yeah Yeah. the timeline's a thing and like oh my goodness like Yes. Here I got a tip from the Swedish writer Klaus Östergren. He was he's a real prodigy. He published his first real novel when he was like 1718. Oh wow. But he <laughs> has these sheets of paper and I have an inter a whole book which is an, a giant 180 pages long interview with him. Oh wow. wow. And they That's published on the inside covers they have his synopsises for two of his most famous books. Nice. 
That's in cool. that way he could keep track of continuity. Yeah. A lot of my like author he... friends get index cards and like tape them on the wall and do like a storyboard type thing what they do in the yeah. movies where everything just kind of flows. I don't do that because I don't write in order. Well, that's my biggest thing. As I never have ever written in order. I do not start with the first sentence and end with the last. I start in the middle and I branch outward all directions and then okay. somehow we all come back to a tiny knot in the middle. Somehow. Yeah. Somehow. Don't ask me how I do it. I just, I, uh, I stress <laughs> myself out doing it that way, but it's the only way I know how to do it. Yeah. That's okay, though. I think everyone has a different kind of writing style. Um, yep. I know that I'm very much a let's start at the beginning, work through, and um, like work through the story that you're do doing, get to a close, and then go back and do it. And go I can't do that. I simply can't. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't work. It, for me, it's just like I'm literally spinning my wheels. It feels like I'm like not nothing is happening. Nothing is being done. I need to because I gotta write what comes to my head. And sometimes it's like the bread scene in the second book. That's the first oh. thing. I ever, that's the first thing I ever wrote. The bread scene was awesome. My favorite. That's one of my favorite scenes in the whole series. Is that scene? Yeah, I'm not surprised. One of the things that comes out from reading the books, you love food. I do. I do. It's so obvious. I mean, the first, like, the first, um, the lasagna scene in the first book. Which people um, talk about constantly. I don't know what's in that. Flipping lasagna <laughs> scene I love so much. But people love that scene. And I just, that gets referenced to me. The three things people talk to me about the most in the book are Harris, the lasagna, and the dinner because of like the setting, like the 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 yeah. lights and the trees and all of that. Um, um, just, yeah. But the 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 food, food has always been like my thing. Um, I love to cook. Actually, I was I was not allowed to watch normal kids programming growing up. Like my parents thought it would. My parents had a high high standard when it came to education. Oh, yeah. and, all the kind of things. So I never watched Sesame Street or Teletubbies or anything like that growing up. I watched Julia Child. That's what I was <laughs> So I have been watching Julia Child, Jacques Pepin, um, like old black and white Julia Child stuff. Like from wow. you know, her first days when she was a young woman. Well, young because she started when she was like 45. But like younger than her 80-year-old, 90-year-old self who was doing cooking down the road um yeah and i taught myself to cook but the problem is my mother used to joke about this i can't cook without talking now i have to okay. talk myself through it while i'm cooking because <laughs> when you learn how to cook watching cooking shows they talk through every step yeah yeah so now my brain literally talks through every step like Julia Tyler, <laughs> or Jacques Pepin, or yeah. um, Odin, or anything or like I. that. Lawson, or anything like that. I yeah. can't do it without talking. And it made my mother crazy. She's like, stop talking. Just be quiet and cook. Because my mother didn't cook. <laughs> my mother does not like cooking at all. So from the time I was old enough to handle it, I made dinner. Yeah. Nice. Because I was just good at it. And I liked doing it. Incidentally, the whole bit with, um, in the... Come on, brain, work, please. Um, in the store, in the um, lasagna scene, you mention about um, 
courgettes, which is what we call zucchini over yeah, here. Zucchini, yep. Yes. Yeah. Is that something that you picked up from a recipe, uh, recipe or is it just yes. something you added in? Yes. Nice. Yeah. I, I, I cook it that way all the time. Uh, nice. So, yeah, I mean, anything that's in the book, I make. You. Myself. Nice. You have you are talking to a person who has some extensive collection of cookbooks. <laughs> I used to review cookbooks, so I have Julia Child's French Bible. I do too. It's my literally like I have that book. I God love Travis. He's like, <laughs> can you put your because they're in a they're in a cabinet in my kitchen where I'm five feet tall, so I can reach my cookbooks. And he's like, can they not be here? They'd be in a bookshelf. I'm like, no, I need them. <laughs> like, but yeah. you don't use them all the time. I'm like, I don't care. I need her presence. I need Julia in my kitchen. Yeah. <laughs> Julia out of my kitchen. You <laughs> know, my I adore her. She's, you she's know, the just the attention to detail in Julia Child's recipes. <laughs> you she can was make... She truly was. I listened to a food podcast named. Um, it's with a Swedish cooking personality named Edvard Blomis, a gastronomist. And his co-host said that just make <laughs> Julia Child's Boeuf Bourgogne. It's worth all the time in this world. And because it takes forever. Goes... And in fact, this is a spoiler for the third book. That is what Naya is making in the scene I'm writing oh, right now with Julia yes! Child's Bourgogne. Which... It's both. huge for me because Julia Child died before I was able to meet her, which is a running joke with my family. Rachel needs to stop wanting to meet people because the people she wants to meet die. Yeah. Steve Irwin died. Brian Jakes, who is another one of my huge writing influences. If you don't know the Redwall series, mm-hmm. it's amazing. Um, died. Alan Rickman died. died. Julia Child died. 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 So yeah. I need to stop wanting to meet people because then they to be, die. To be fair, Neil Gaiman's still alive. True. <laughs> For now. Yeah. Unless I kill him. I'm you won't. <laughs> but I no, um, cooking to me is one of like the most calming, soothing. Like a lot of people are like, like they come home from work. Like I work a full-time job. I have three daughters. I have a fiance. I have a house to run. I have books I write. I mean, I'm a crazy person running around. And so Travis will come home. He's like, I'll do dinner. I'm like, no, do not take my one, like, calming thing from me. I will do dinner. <laughs> Handle everything else, please. I will do dinner. And that is, like, <laughs> my thing. Like, don't. Oh, and he, no. I'm starting to have to be a little more, like, okay, you could cook. Because he's an exceptionally good cook as well. Oh, good. So, and there are things that he makes that I cannot duplicate. So I'm like, okay, fine. I want this. You have to make it. I'm sorry. Let me help. <laughs> My dear darling knows how I am when cooking. Yeah. We like, both of us like cooking. I'm, I'll admit I'm not as confident as Andreas because I'm, um, bearing in mind, I've only lived away from home for about four years. Something like that. And, and 
my mum used to make most of the meals. I used to make some, but not loads. Right. And I'm just, and one of the things I'm beginning to get into is a routine of doing um, slow cooker crock pot meals because it works so well. It does. It's, it, it works time. so well. It's, um, it's like you put it on, you go to work, you come back, you turn it off. You have hot food. It's wonderful. Yeah. Um, I've, um, so my mum gave me a slow cooker book. My dad gave me a slow cooker book. And then Andreas, bless him. Bless you dearly, sweetheart. Andreas gave me two slow cooker pudding books. They're both American. No offence to Americans, by the way. <laughs> but the thing but... is, was that the recipes were mainly with powders. It's packet mix. It, some of the recipes are packet mixes. And but I'm you just can't, like... You can't get there. Well, we can. Just not as good. But I, know. I just... The thing is that I come from a family <laughs> with a dad who's allergic to something that's hidden in everything. Oof. Yes. Cornstarch. Oh no! Yep. So, I've I am trained to learn to cook from scratch. Without it, from scratch. Yep. Yeah. It makes Travis so, crazy. He's like, "Let's have spaghetti." I'm like, "Well, I need two hours to do that because I'm gonna make the sauce." He goes, "It takes five minutes. It's in the jar." I'm like, "No, it is not. <laughs> I it's will the make same it." Thing. I live in a collective <laughs> house. Crazy. So I have to cook for 30 people every now and then. Yep. And um, I get no. disgusted <laughs> when people buy these pre-made spice sachets for like tacos and stuff like that. You blend like... your own. It's an art. <laughs> you have to taste. It's a balance. It's practice. Yes. Um, I I've used had, to um... do cooking show. <laughs> So there are episodes of me cooking on YouTube. <laughs> I have to go I find them. I will have to go find them as well. Yes, you need to put links in this. Um, you need to put links for those in the description. Sweet. Quite seriously. Yeah. Swedish only. <laughs> will it be in Swedish? And, and I can oh still learn. I probably can figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> But I'm sure I'll figure it to out. Come well. back. I think we should try to come back to the books. Uh, that's a good idea. Tangents are fun. What? Tangents are awesome. But yes, but um, no, food is a very big theme in the in the both of the books. It kind of yeah. carries all the way through. Yeah, and it's awesome. Cooking is also an important an important part of life. Especially yeah. if you read certain types of books, like Jane Austen has some very famous dinner scenes in her books. Yep. I, I just listened to them when I was ill earlier <laughs> this year, just, just for the sake of us getting married in the church we are getting married. Oh, um, to. For those of you who don't know, the church we're getting married in was the church where Jane Austen's parents got married. <laughs> That's awesome. That yes, makes me very is. excited. I'm a huge Jane Austen fan, so that makes me very, 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 very excited. Yeah. Yes. And um, 
It also happens to be the church that my brother goes to and my mum used to go to, which means I can get married there without having to, um, without actually having to attend that church. Awesome. That's which cool. is great because it means I can carry on going to my church. Yeah. <laughs> it's actually really fun is while we're talking, I have the book on my phone. So I'm literally kind of like scrolling through reminding myself, oh, yeah, that happened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I another, wrote that. Another question is how... In this era of Me Too, how did that. the thought of writing about rape come into the picture? Yeah. So the first book, it's implied. The first book, it's very much, it's, it's not, I never explicitly write anything of any form that is assault per se. The first book, there's the scene in the very, very beginning with her brother, which... Stepbrother. Her stepbrother, <laughs> yes. Which is it's alluded to that he's been a bit creepy, a bit looky-loo, a bit touchy, but no flat-out assault. He's mostly aggressive physically and mostly verbally a just jackass. Pardon my French. But he's just a terrible, terrible human being. In the second, I believe the second book, I could be, I believe it's the second book, and I have to go refresh my own memory, um, is where it's a lot more, the second book went a lot further with it, if I'm remembering my own writing correctly, mm -hmm. where um, I've been I... asked many times why I let myself, why I did this. And why I chose to. Yes, it is the first one. It's the second book. It's the second book. Um, the first time that she encounters Trevace. Yes. Um, it's not just a physical assault, but it's also a mental assault as well. Yeah. Um, because yeah. he gets inside her. He gets inside her. My spoiler alert. He gets inside her mind and gets inside her, um, her psyche. And just starts like ripping her apart. Um, and like she's dying and she almost does die and she's in a very bad, she almost does die. Um, and then, the, uh, and then, yes. Uh, and the very good thing is after that, which is a huge spoiler, I'm not saying a word about that reason. <laughs> um, that's a huge spoiler for both books. So yeah. just, that was yeah. a non disclosure. Um, but, yeah. man, I want to go back and read my own book again. I forgot, how, I forgot, I forgot what happened in that. So, I don't know what um, but part of it is because I wanted in no uncertain terms for people to understand that it's not just a physical thing. Yeah. And it wasn't for me but and it wasn't for anyone of my know that I've walked alongside who's experienced that, that it's not just a physical violation. It's a mental mm -hmm. one. And so, with Trevace being the way he is, quite bluntly, the first villain that I wrote in the first book was a typical baddie. Like, she's a bad person. She's just pretty much crap. She's just not a good person. She's evil. She has an agenda. She has a goal. Her goal yeah. is very, very basic. Get revenge on people who hurt me. Yes. The end. Like, it's a very, very common 
revenge. Which, which for yeah. some reason, no, and I'm not, not saying what reason, but for some reason, it includes Naya. <laughs> yes, yeah, so it does include Naya. It includes anyone who hurts her, yeah. which it does include Naya, at first indirectly and then directly. But in the second yeah. book, Treves is a far more insidious villain. Yeah. Um, he's far more insidious because his villainy is genocide, basically. It goes from being his forerunner in villainy. I almost just gave, I almost just gave something huge away. Whoops. Um, <laughs> his forerunner in villainy from the first book had a focused attack on this family, on these people specifically. Trevace is a homicidal maniac. Yeah. And a sociopath. Yeah. He's, a, he's bluntly a sociopath. Yeah. And he's just you. Yeah. Yeah. He's 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 a he's a Hitlerian figure in many respects. Which yeah. to me writing that when it was happening because the date in which the book was published was 2016. Mm. Which means it was out in 2017 during one of the most tumultuous periods in American politics. In which my country is dealing with something on a political level that boggles my mind. And I don't want to get too political, but I do say that my book is a declarative statement directed at that. Yeah. In a big, big way. And I won't pretend it's not. Because yeah. it absolutely is. I was writing it Ugh. and finishing it during the election. I was finishing sections during the debate. <gasps> like, I was writing chunks, watching the debates and sitting on the floor with my laptop, writing stuff as it came out of certain people's mouths. And so it's so much more than just a bad guy with a, with an agenda. It's yeah. it's a whole it's... nod to the Me Too movement, to American politics, to the church as a whole, targeting select groups of which I am a member, um, yes. ripping apart on so many levels. Yeah, and blowing. Wow. I look now back and realize I also wrote my ex husband into that character as well. Which I fully own. Didn't know it Oops. then. Clearly see it now. <laughs> so. Yeah. Okay. So it's everything icky and evil in one yeah. body. Just <clears throat> yeah. Um. I. Uh, I interviewed. Uh, an artist. Call, calling herself Gassel Twin. Which has been writing among other things about the exploitation that you can feel in a, in a changing room as a 14 year old. Mm. On a, oh my nose, I apologize. I stepped away from the, from the microphone so you wouldn't okay, hear that. That's fine. Um, um, there's one question I've been meaning to ask, um, which may seem like an odd question. There was one bit of the um, of the first book that I got slightly confused by. Yes, clarify. How did the mirrors get swapped? Okay, people ask me that. Uh, this is you're not the first person to ask me this. Okay. So, um, so let me try to find the section and answer that question because 
I do say it. It is in there. Um, I gotta find it. Scrolling for 30 years. <laughs> it's like the almost the last chapter, but not quite. Yes, it is. It's in chapter 27. I, nope. Yeah. yeah. Um. Sorry. Five. Twenty-five. Um. The the mirrors get switched. Um. They set up the they set up the incident that is occurring when the mirrors get switched. Um. And there is a traitor. Right. There is a traitor. You. We will not find out the name of the traitor until book four. Okay. But there is a traitor. So there is there is okay. someone who is working for the other side that appears of to be. Of course, there is. Yes. Okay. And who it is is gonna blow everybody's mind. I'm not gonna try and guess then. No, don't you? I mean, you don't I'm not. I will not give it away. But who it is will absolutely it will shake the core of the fandom from the top to the bottom. Wow. I, people will hate me. Okay. So that's all I will say about that, but it will shake the fandom from top to bottom. I'm really hoping it's not Travis or uh, not, not, uh, sorry, Harris or Irina. I can tell you for a fact that I'm not telling you who it is. That's fine. <laughs> oh, that's just. Yes, it's almost as bad as the ending of book one. <laughs> People were very bad at the end of book one. I would I would get, they were like, I'm almost done with it. I'm like, okay. 20 minutes later, a day later, what the heck did you do? <laughs> Which what I wanted. That's the reaction I wanted. I wanted people to be livid by the end. Yeah. I remember I... I remember I read it and I was like, okay, I'm on the last bit. And then you have that last sentence and it's like, what? Yeah, that's, fun. that's fun to do as an author. It's fun to take something you think you know, you think you know what's happening. You think you're like, okay, well, this is, what's ha- this is what has occurred. This is the logical point A to point B. And then suddenly you throw a complete spanner in the works and it's like, well, there's yeah. got to be a second book now. <laughs> it's my favorite thing to do. Yes. And it was yeah. awesome. People got so bad. <laughs> they got so bad. And it was so wonderful. Incidentally, for those, for those people listening, if you have not read the book and want to find out what happens, go and read the book. I know I've yeah. already said it yeah. once, but I keep saying this. It's worth reading it. Just be prepared for some ever so slightly graphic parts. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And there's no, like, the most graphic I ever get, um, I don't actually get all that gross when it comes to, like, violence and stuff. I just keep it, because when I wrote it, I read it in my head for how I want to see it on a screen, should yeah. some wonderful person ever decide to turn it into a film. Um, <laughs> but... Yeah. So I want, I, there's a lot of very clear, distinct things that I want. Um, but also I tried to keep it from being super gory. Will not say that for the third book because the third book we're going to, we've been building up to what that third book's going to be. The third book is, I'll be honest, I'm 
very I'm quite curious about this what's gonna happen in the third book because Me of, too. and I yeah. mean I mean if George R. R. Martin can get away with being gory in mainstream <laughs> point actually I will game say of that the third third and fourth books there's gonna be a lot more death okay. than there's been. And I and I mentioned this like I said the we find out something absolutely monumental in the third and fourth books that, as I was, as I was saying earlier, will will I, I say it that will shake the fandom and it will because it will take someone you've thought you've known this entire time and just turn chuck the person the over. Yeah, yeah. And it's going to be very, very catastrophic. For both the book characters and also for the people who are reading the book as well. Yeah. And I have no regrets. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to everyone's going to hate me, but I'm not saying who what I'm doing. I'm, I'm going to keep that, That's keep some mystery. But, but you no, should not be... spoil because a book in writing can change during write process as well. Yeah. And that's part of the thing. Like with this, I I've known this was happening. That that what's going to happen in book probably four. I've known it's going to happen since I started writing book one. Wow. Yeah. Okay, that's fair. I think um, we should try to conclude this now, as we are up in more than an hour now. Yeah. Yeah. And you don't want to Wait. run too long episodes. I agree. I agree. True. Do you have any other questions you um, want to ask? One. One, one last question. If we may, if I may, sweet, yeah. yeah. Um, do you have any advice for people who are wanting to write or self-publish or anything like that? Yes. If you're going to write, just do it. Which sounds really cliche and dumb, but. You can keep saying, well, I might, I might. You just sit down. And this is my recommendation to all my... I actually do have a... I run a coaching service for writers who are wanting to start out and write. And the nice. number one thing I tell my students is, I want you to open up a document, and I want you to sit at set a timer for 15 minutes. Not a long timer, just 15 minutes of your day. And I want you to open up a brand new, empty, blank, white document. And I want you to type stream of consciousness, whatever comes to your head, for, like, 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 don't say, like, the wall is white, you know, the clouds are blue, you know, the sky is blah, blah. Type something, like, fiction. If you're wanting to write fiction, give yourself a prompt and just start writing on that prompt for 15 yeah. minutes. Then save the document, shut the document, and don't touch it for a week. Like, don't look at it, don't play with it. Write it, close it, ignore it for a week. Then come back and look at it with fresh eyes and be like, okay, so what in this is usable? What in this do I like? Did I like where my brain took this? What did I create? And nine times out of ten, it will turn into something. Nine yes. out of ten will turn into something. There's always that one that says, like, no, that was poop. Try again. <laughs> then yeah. we do it again. But don't, like, just get it out on the paper and then look at it afterwards. Like, don't. that's why I love NaNoWriMo so much. You just write and write and write and write and write. And then when you're done... And it's December 1st, then you sit and edit out all the garbage and all of the useless blathering that's in there for no reason. And you hone it and make it pretty. But don't worry about making it pretty. Just get the words out. Yeah. And then make yeah. it pretty afterwards. Yeah. Yes. 